Welcome to the July 2023 episode of our Bridging the Gaps podcast series, produced by FASTA, the Foundation for the Economics of Sustainability, and the European Health Futures Forum, the EHFF. I'm Sean O'Conline. In this month's podcast, Caroline White spoke with Jan Meyerhofer, the Policy and Advocacy Manager for Sustainability at the European Youth Forum, and Cathy Visa, the Policy Manager for Economic Transition and Gender Equality at the European Environmental Bureau. They discussed the recent Beyond Growth Conference, the future of work in a post-growth economy, and the projects they're working on at the moment. I began the interview by asking Cathy and Jan how they came to be working for EU-focused NGOs in Brussels. Yeah, thanks, Caroline, for having us here today. Maybe I can just also quickly introduce myself. So I'm I'm Kati. I'm I'm working for the European Environmental Bureau. So we're a large network of environmental organizations, like you said, based in Brussels. So we have uh, members from all around Europe. And I'm part of the economic transition team. So that's maybe not a natural environmental topic in that sense. But uh, it's really about, okay, how... How can we change the economic system to make it more sustainable from an environmental and social perspective? And when we started this to work on this a few years ago, I mean, almost four years ago, I think now when the, when the pandemic started, I think one reason was uh, that we always got this argument in a way from policymakers, look, we cannot implement environmental policies or some of the environmental policies because it threatens jobs um, and it means unemployment and it means uh, social chaos or social uprising. And then the same also, of course, goes for um, macroeconomic policies that go beyond growth. So that was a bit also the, the kind of red card from policymakers. So I think that's why, at least for me, I got really interested in, in, in dealing with this question. And then also we started to think about this project before the pandemic, but then also when the pandemic hit, there was also it was really different context, so we could really feel how, if the economic system is cracking, like what does it mean for people when they lose their job, and and in a world where most people depend on their income, it has quite significant impacts uh, on their on their lives and and their families and 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 well being and such on. So I think these were two main points um, for me uh, why we should start working on this um, and then also on a, on a side note I'm also really personal in, personally interested in this topic like how yeah how can we restructure and rethink work um, when we face the fact that we have to consume and produce less and it also means that some yeah some jobs will need to um, grow but other also needs to go in a way. Yeah, thanks. It's, it's really interesting, I think, also to think about this relationship between growth and, and work and um, trying to fit within environmental limits. Uh, it seems like a really, really core subject, as you say. And Jan, is there anything you'd like to add from your side? Sure. Thanks, Caroline. Um, yeah, thanks for thanks for having me as well. Uh, I'll also quickly introduce myself. So my name is Jan Mayhofer. I'm uh, I'm German um, and I work for an organization called the European Youth Forum which is the umbrella of youth organizations in Europe. So, um, yeah, regarding your question on how we or how I ended up uh, here, um, it was a bit bit random, I would say. I never planned to work for a European-focused NGO, but I uh, came to Brussels eight years ago um, applying for an internship. And, uh, you know, sort of one thing led to the other. Uh, so I have a background in international development and uh 
Yeah, I was looking for a job and ended up uh, with an internship at a at a consultancy. Uh, in fact, not a you know not a very good experience looking back because I had clients like uh, CPL Industries, which is the former British Coal. Even though I always wanted to work mm-hmm. and you know and uh, do something that is is more in line with my values. And then I was lucky to to score an internship with Oxfam International here in Brussels. And then for the past six years, I've been working for the European Youth Forum on uh, sustainability issues. And it, uh, for us, it became quite clear, and we did that with our member organizations that, you know, when you're talking about sustainability, it's really a systemic issue. Uh, that is rooted in our economic system. So if you're serious about tackling all the crises that we're currently facing, whether it's ecological crisis, the inequality crisis, uh, the crisis of work or mental health, you could call it more and more young people in particular are facing issues like depression, burnout. Um, you really have to look at the economic system and how that sort of, you know, affects all of these crises to to tackle the root causes. And yeah, that also sort of uh, led me to work with uh, with the European Environmental Bureau and Cathy, um, for instance, on the on the reports that I know we're going to talk about next. Great. Yes, thanks. Uh, as you both have mentioned, you you came out, you wrote a co-wrote a report um, in late 2020, and it was called "Escaping the Growth and Jobs Treadmill." Could you explain a little bit about what you mean by that title? Um, yeah, maybe I can take that question. So, so it's a metaphor, obviously, um, of, uh, you know, we call it the endless treadmill and you have to imagine it a little bit like, you know, you're, uh, you're running in the gym, uh, on a treadmill, uh, but you can't turn it off, which makes it very difficult to, to sort of step off the treadmill. And, um, I think, well, to begin with, a lot of people feel in our current system of work that they are sort of on a treadmill you know, that there is uh, no escaping this. I think it's very culturally um, entrenched as well. Like, for instance, we're saying, we don't say we're unemployed. We say we're in between jobs because it's sort of a bad thing, right? Um, but in the report, we we look at this really from an economic uh, perspective. And um, well, one of the, the things we're working on is, is economic systems change. And the goal here is really, uh, to transition to an economic system that is no longer structurally dependent on growth. And this is exactly where the, the growth and jobs treadmill, as we call it, comes in. It's a metaphor for our system of labor uh, within the wider economic system. And um, I think the key piece here is really labor productivity. So if you have an increase in labor productivity, and particularly, you know, the question is then what do you do with this labor productivity increase that you have through technological advancements and then you know the past uh, few decades in particular have been you know um you know labor productivity increased and then you know some people call it the productivity dividend um what do you do with it and you know in theory you have uh, um two choices right so uh, imagine that you invent a device that can do uh the work of a hundred people now, what do you do? The first option is either you produce the same and you can reduce working time by 100, right? Or you keep working the same amounts and uh, you produce the output sort of, you know, uh, GDP by 100 times. And that's really like the, the, the core thing in the report that we try to explain that within our economic system, we had no choice but to uh, choose the latter, which is to produce 100 times more in this case. And this is essentially because in a, you know, in sort of a capitalist market economy, uh, if you have a productivity increase, you know, for a firm to stay competitive, 
what you'd need to do is um, let's say you know productivity increased by uh, 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 twofold. Then you know if you want to stay competitive, you have to uh, fire half of the uh, of your employees, and that is no not only a problem for the people that have been fired, obviously, but also for the economic system as a whole. That you know sort of leads to underemployment um, and and all kind of you know problems that. Um, uh, follow from that by sort of kicking away the consumer base and um, well the only way out within within uh, our current economic system is to find employment for the otherwise unemployed uh, so you need to produce more so this is really where where you know the the treadmill comes in that we you know we cannot really uh, escape and that um, Katy mentioned also that I think is why you know if you switch on the tv or the radio you hear so many people talking, uh, so many politicians talking about, you know, jobs, jobs, jobs. Um, uh, that's why it's so important. And yeah, the 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 whole goal of the report was to explain how this, why this is the case from an economic system, but then obviously, uh, you know, uh, show some ways out of it. Um, and maybe Katy, you wanna you wanna talk a bit more about the the uh, policy recommendations or solutions that we have to escape the treadmill. Yeah, I can. Uh, I'm happy to do this. Uh, I, I was also thinking, but, but Jan also said it already in the beginning. So on the one side, we wanted to make this uh, economic argument, but then on the other side, we also really wanted to show, okay, these are also not necessarily quality jobs that we have right now. A lot of people are also really unhappy uh, with their with their job situation. So actually, the real wages of um, of many employees in, in Europe actually have been declining since many, many years. And I think it's just been exacerbated during the pandemic. A lot of people also have like two or three jobs and they still not manage to feed their families. So even if we would all have jobs, these are also not necessarily really great jobs. And they're also jobs. I mean, David Greber uh, termed this uh, bullshit jobs. So jobs that may be bad for the environment or bad for people, but um, yeah, just there because uh, yeah we we are trapped in the treadmill so we need to also create some jobs um, yeah but they're they're not necessarily useful for for society or environment and then in the second part of the report we also try to say okay we are in the situation right now um, bad working conditions trapped in this treadmill, uh, trapped in this endless treadmill but there are actually also um, policies out there or ambitious policies or ideas that could help us to stop the treadmill in a way or maybe jump jump to a, a to another um yeah I don't know we didn't we never really talked about um, a metaphor for what what could come next but um in the report we outline four policy options so one are working time reductions so basically, the idea um, or to, to reduce working time uh, with no loss and pay. And in this way, people would have, for example, more time to spend uh, with their families, but also to, to adopt more sustainable lifestyles because there's also research out there showing that uh, higher working hours correlate with a higher environmental footprint because often if we adopt more sustainable lifestyles like cooking at home or growing food at home. This all takes more time. And um, it also frees up time to yeah engage in 
other meaningful activities or democratic processes, because this is also something that, that takes a lot of time if you want to, if there's an election, for example, or, or if you want to engage in activities outside of your work. And we can talk about this a little bit later, but I think, uh, in my opinion, working time reduction is also one of the policy options. So looking at the future is actually something that's been discussed or is actually changing in the, in the discourse in many European countries. Then the second one is uh, university basic income. So the idea that everyone gets a set amount of, of money. And here also like, there are similar benefits because it would also maybe free up time for engaging with families or spending time with families uh, or in, in other social activities. And also in light of the fact that many of the jobs are really low paid and underpaid. Then we have one that we call more democracy at work. Uh, it's the idea to have different forms, different ownership models. And we have a, have a few examples in, in the report because also a bit absurd that democracy or democratic, democratic values are one of the core or fundamentals of the European Union. But then in, in the workplace, it, it often looked very different. Uh, so many people actually don't really have a lot of to say if they work for big companies that are managed by shareholders, for example, or by a board of managers. So what about implementing different ownership models that can also yeah, empower workers to have a say in, in where the direction of the company is going? And there also really, there's really interesting research also showing if workers have a higher say, um, they might also adopt more environmentally friendly policies within the workplace. And to give an example, there's this company based in, I think, in Hamburg. They produce a, a organic lemonade or something, but there everyone has actually a share in the company. Also, everyone earns the same. So there's no difference between the person who delivers the lemonade or who makes the lemonade. And then they also always decide in a democratic process if people should get a, a higher wage, for example. So I... I found it very interesting because, um, yeah, they really say it really gives them a different feeling. And they are also, I think, quite from, from what they produce and how they produce is also much more environmentally friendly. And they're also not, um, of course, they have to get a certain profit, but they're not um, trying to maximize their, their profit in a way. And then the last uh, policy option that we present in the report is a so-called job guarantee scheme. It's the idea that the government uh, acts as the uh, employer of the last resort so that everyone who is capable and willing to have a job is getting a job through the government. And here the idea is also not to produce jobs that uh, are detrimental for environment and society, but maybe redirect these two jobs yeah, that are good for the environment or social or care work, etc. Et and, and there are also already some uh, examples in some of the countries where they're trying to, to implement this. But now I also feel like I talked a lot and uh, we can talk about some of those uh, policies a bit more in detail. 
Thanks, Kathy. I don't think you talk too much. It's very interesting to have that whole um, breakdown of, of what you were recommending and the, and the and an overview as well and the report. Um, yeah, it's interesting because I, the what Jan was mentioning about the core role of productivity uh, in the current way in which the economy is set up and the need for competitiveness and, and all of that. Um, I was uh, we, we were all of us at the Beyond Growth Conference in the European Parliament in May, and Kathy, you were actually on one of the panels um, and. I'm going to ask you about that in a minute. And I just wanted to give a brief comment in passing first, just a reflection about all of this. Uh, uh, I mean, it was, a, as I've already said in other podcasts, it was an, for us an amazing conference to attend. I was, Sean was also there with me and covered an awful lot of ground. Um, there wasn't a complete consensus, of course, as one would expect on what even, even what beyond growth means as a concept. Um, there were different politicians with different opinions on this um, and officials as well. But uh, one of the one of the other side panels uh, was on the care economy, and one of the speakers at that was Tim Jackson, who also did the the forward for your report, of course. And he's actually been uh, involved. He he gave a talk for us about two months ago as well uh, about um, the role of art and culture in in economic transition, which was very interesting. But his perspective uh, about he was in the panel about the care economy, and the reason I bring that up is that I find there's a really interesting paradox. Um, involving productivity and the care economy, because that's the sector, of course, where increased productivity doesn't actually, it's not really about productivity at all, it's about care. So it's a different whole factor. And uh, as you're saying, Cathy, a lot of people working in the care economy are very badly paid um, and in very bad work conditions. And there's a strange irony that comes out, like, for example, even one of the speakers on that panel, not Tim Jackson, but one of the other ones, was even making this argument that if care workers are better paid, then uh, and if and if there's a better um, system whereby uh, people who need care get care, then you'll have more people freed up to work, and that will increase the GDP because there'll be less people at home doing laundry and doing cooking and so on and caring, you know, for people at home. So there is a, a there was no sense of irony about what he was saying. It was like it was. There's this whole mindset about how we need to try and maximize production and we need to even apply that to sectors like the care economy where it's not particularly, you know, pertinent or, or appropriate. But I just wanted to mention that because I thought that was really interesting and it sort of I was reminded of that by, by what you were both saying. But Cathy, could you could you say a few words about the panel that you were on? Because it's related, but it wasn't exactly the same theme. Yes, uh, sure. So the panel was on working time reductions. And I found it a really interesting panel because it was there were two people who basically also uh, told about two concrete examples in Spain and UK. So in UK, there was the uh, four-day working trial, uh, which involved, I think, around 70 UK companies. And it was, it was said to be the world's biggest uh, pilot scheme so far. And what's also really interesting there was it was also not about like cramming uh, five days into four, but it was really about, okay, reducing working time to 80% while having uh, the same salary or staying remaining with the same salary. And I think these examples are, are very important because it, it shows people that what we propose is not like a wish list or something, but it's, it's, it's actually happening and can actually be implemented and it's also being being done in, in a few countries already. And then I, I also just had to think about the, the, the care economy that, of course, when we implement uh, working time reductions, it also 
is still necessary to apply different lenses, like an in, in intersectional lens, for example, because mm -hmm. uh, we still live in, in patriarchal systems. So some of the policies that we implement without an in, in feminist lens, for example, risk to exacerbate uh, existing inequalities. And the four-day working week is also quite interesting because there's also research on this that shows for to be able that a work uh, that working time reduction can actually distribute, distribute care work more evenly it's maybe better to have less working hours per day instead of uh, just having the friday off which is a very very prominent example in, in working time reductions and so i found it interesting to to, to think about the things and and then to when we design policies to to really see okay who is benefiting from it and how do we really make sure we enhance gender equality and not the other way other way around but it's also all to say that this of course depends on on certain sectors um so i think so when we think about working time reduction sometimes we have this or at least i have it myself as well we have this idea of a factory who now like instead of like four uh, five days they work four but then for a hospital or uh, a care home, elderly home, it's probably a different arrangement in a way. And this is also something that we to get as counter arguments. But what about uh, doctors? Of course, they, they can also have working time reductions, but maybe it's maybe they work uh, three days and a bit longer and, and then they have four days off or something. And um, another thing that I found interesting is, uh, OK, we have these positive examples. But then on the other side, there's also still a bit that kind of just trade off of like, oh, yeah, great. We see examples, but then it's maybe also not necessarily what we want. Um, so in the UK example is great because it's actually the, the reduction with the same pay. But then the arguments to get companies on board is still the productivity. So when she explained, I was like, oh, yeah. And then we go to companies and we tell them, yeah, look, if you're if you if your um, employers only work four days of five and you have the same pay, uh, it actually increases the productivity and, and you will probably maybe even maximize your profits a bit more. And and this still goes in the same logic. Right. And and I was also thinking, OK, on the one hand, we do need just uh, examples and we still live in the system and we need to get on the companies on board. But. On the other side, we also, I think, still far away to really rethink the fundamentals of work. So what does paid work even mean and what do we strive for? And it, and it's still a lot about uh, productivity. And then um, a last thing I found interesting was there was a French academic, Dominica Meda, I think was her name. And I think and, and she was also making the argument uh, that uh, she was working on working time reductions for a long time, but now she's more focusing on okay, maybe working time reduction is not the main priority we should focus on, but rather how can we go back to make work more labor intensive? So I think she gave the example of in, in agriculture. So if we switch from high industrial agriculture farms to more ecological one, it probably means uh, more manual labor again, which would require uh, more people to work on the fields. And then another thing, another argument she also made is like the, the current skills gap that we have or the labor shortage. So that might also reshift uh, the dynamics uh, again a bit, which I found an, an interesting point. But then in the end, I think if we see things on a grand scale and considering the fact that we will need to reduce production and consumption massively and that also some sectors will really have to shrink, especially the 
high polluting sectors, I do think that working time reduction is still a very viable option because it, it will it will we will need to redistribute work more evenly in our societies. So all in all, a really interesting discussion. Although we all were quite aligned, there were also still yeah like the po points from Dominica uh, Meda, where we also had a bit of this discussion. Okay, what yeah where where, where are we at with the working time reduction as policy option? Yes, that's really interesting to to have that slightly different perspective as well. In FASTA, there are some people who've um, been arguing that um, the whole business of of robotization and you know AI taking over for a lot of work and so on might be overblown because of you know future energy shortages and resource shortages and and this this transition might not happen in the way that's expected. But yeah, I don't know enough about it to have a strong opinion one way or the other. But it's, uh, it is interesting to, to have this thought that, you know, it's possible that there will be um, more manual type work again in the future, even in areas like agriculture, for example, if we go to a more agroecological model, which is more hands on and uh, more sort of bespoke, depending on which ecosystem you're in and so on but uh it's just an interesting thing to keep in mind but i think i'm sure you're right that i think in general the the whole we need to be cutting down on our production so in the aggregate that's probably going to mean less um actual physical work most likely um how about uh, I'd, I'd love to just have a few impressions from the two of you about the the, the beyond growth conference in general because it was three very full days um and for me, as I've already said, it was quite a, a very interesting experience and very intense. Do either of you, maybe Jan, do you have an opinion about what you, what you thought about it? Or? Yeah, um, well, it was certainly an interesting conference for a conference in the European Parliament, and that's my day-to-day -day job, so, so I can tell. Um, it was a good experience, I would say. I felt there was a lot of uh, energy. Um, there were... I think almost uh, 2,000 people attending in person, and a lot of those people were uh, young people. Um, and uh, yeah, I think especially in comparison to like a, a plenary debate, um, I think the European Parliament uh, uh, well, hasn't really seen that kind of energy. I remember the closing plenary, there were people, you know, uh, standing up, cheering, standing ovations. Um, there was little stunt uh, when it was all over. And I think that was, yeah, it was really good to see because, uh, yeah, normally if you go to these kind of conferences, it always feels a bit more uh, boring, maybe uh, sort of theatrical and, uh, yeah, in some ways, you know, less interesting. So I think that was really, really positive. Um, and it was, um, yeah, I would, I would say the... The other thing is um, that at the same time, I think we should realize that, you know, uh, the people who were there are sort of the a bubble um, and that this kind of narrative, I think, is still very far outside the, the mainstream, even though um, I think, uh, yeah, it's it's we, we've come very far. The fact that we had um uh, uh, politicians from four different uh, European political groups uh, hosting the conference and hosting panels is a huge step forward, in particular, if you think about the EPP, the European People's Party, the biggest, uh, the biggest party in the in the European Parliament sort of center right, um, as well as the Liberals, um, 
taking part in it. I think that's a, a huge step forward. And I think, uh, yeah, that's exactly what we need. We need to sort of make these narratives uh, more mainstream, um, you know, uh, outside of, let's say, uh, a more of a green lefty kind of bubble. So in that sense, I think, uh, yeah, it was really positive. Um, I also attended a lot of the, um, a lot of the, uh, um, so there were break uh, breakout panels, I think three or four in parallel, and I attended a lot of those. Um, and my feeling there was also that um, the format wasn't really conducive to having a very good debate. So it was very long uh, speeches, but very little interaction uh, between uh, the speakers. And I think that would have been really, really interesting because... Uh, yeah, as Kati said, there were a few people who had different views, maybe from the industry. And I think, you know, if you really want to get something out of it and make a leap forward, you need to have a, a proper discussions on like these these sticking points. So yeah, also curious to to hear about your experience, whether you had the same experience in the the sessions you attended. I think I have the I have similar impressions than Jans. I think the energy was just amazing because sometimes you also work in the EU policy field and the legislative process is quite long. And I I was I'm currently working on the or I'm following the review of the EU economic governance framework, which is basically about yeah budgetary rules for the member states, how much they can spend. And I was a I don't know that the um, the commission proposed uh, or tabled a proposal in April, which was really only marginal, better what we had before. And I've been working on this and and also with Jan and and colleagues for like three years. And I was really thinking, oh my god, we put so much energy into this, and what do we get out of it? But then the um, the conference also gave me a bit, yeah, grounded me again. I was like, okay, that's why we are doing, and we are this uh, community, and it was also really nice because the day before we organized a civil society gathering with different people from different organizations and we I really felt like throughout the three days we also had quite a good vibe between uh, or within this group and then you can kind of criticize what she said but then as Jan said it was actually quite a big step that Ursula von der Leyen the commission president was there and of course she didn't say yeah I'm pro degrowth but she did say um uh, growth uh, in a fossil fuel-based economy is not possible or something. And uh, yeah, I think that's that's a way for, for her. I mean, she's also part of the European People's Party, but I think that was kind of a big step and, and never happened uh, before. But then, yeah, it's really now to see what follows up. Uh, Philippe Lambert, the um, he works for the Green as a Belgian Green. He he organized, or so he was the driving force of this conference, and he will not run for another term. So I'm also a bit worried. Okay, who's following his footsteps in a way? So I think it's also really important to identify. Yeah, also maybe for the Irish listeners, like who who is your uh, MP or MEP who is interested in this topic? So I think these people can also really try to drive those within the parliaments, but also within the EU. What I think could work quite well as a next step is to implement or organize this interparliamentary groups on Beyond Growth. So to have a group within the Commission, but also within the European Parliament or within the national parliaments to start discussing those topics and, and go a little bit more in depth. And there are also 
already some examples out there in the Netherlands. I met with a MP there and she's one of the founders of this group. And I, I found it super interesting to exchange with her, like what are the barriers, or but also what are the successes, where the discussions at. Uh, so this is a, this is a, a big next step. Uh, and also, yeah, how can we bring some of those energy and some of those idea into the election phase next year? as we also see kind of a big backlash in the moment on environmental policies in general. So probably some of you heard about the nature restoration law, which is actually today in, in Strasbourg, there's a plenary vote if it will pass or not. And uh, I have a bit of impression that the EPP group is really going strong um, against all against all environmental policies, uh, part of the European Green Deal mm -hmm. that are left. It seems even a bit of, of a... Uh, yeah, I don't know, strategy maybe, or like already like thinking about the election next year to maybe get some voters from the right. But yeah, it's very, very, very concerning. Um, so also to everyone out there, I know it's frustrating, but I think it's still super important to vote because uh, yeah, in the, if there's a majority of conservative or right-wing people in the parliament next year, I do think we will have rather migration and security deal instead of a European Green Deal uh, 2.0. Yeah, so mm. it's really about like, yeah, leveraging this energy and uh, yeah, connecting ourselves with people that want to continue work on this in the respective member states and yeah, also try to to bring this up in, in the election campaign next year. Mm. Yes, I think you're, you're right. That was my impression too, um, that I think there's, I've had a sense of concern uh, about next year and the elections and that this was making it harder for some of the officials there perhaps to really embrace the idea of, of the, the beyond growth idea. I also uh, personally, I would, I, and you probably all both agree, I imagine I would, I would never, I wouldn't expect somebody like Ursula uh, van der Leyen, for example, to, to uh, say, yeah, we need degrowth because <laughs> I think, you know, somebody in that position or say a central banker or somebody like that, they, they really want investments there. They're scared of, of, capital flight, they're scared of, of frightening away investors and so on. So they're, they're very, very careful in the way they put these things. But what people think in private might be another matter. And, and I think, um, yeah, finding ways to talk about this in a way that's uh, not likely to trigger the wrong kind of reaction is, is an interesting challenge, you know, but, but um, I mean, we've had, we've been talking over half an hour now, and I don't want to take up too much of your time. And, and Katia, you've very helpfully already spoken a bit about um, what you think would be useful in the future to focus on um, to, in the aftermath of the conference. Jan, do you have anything you'd like to add about what's, uh, either what you're working on now or what you think we should be focused on in the future that Cathy didn't mention? Um, sure. Um, well, there's a couple of things we're working on now, but but maybe I'll talk a little bit about what I think sort of has changed and, and what we should be doing in the future. I think we've made huge progress, not so much in terms of policies, but in terms of you know, starting to to change the discourse. I see that, for instance, in in my organization, which is, as I said, the umbrella of of 107 um, youth organizations. I think they're, you know, in the environmental movement, for instance, more and more people are realizing that if we're serious about tackling the climate crisis and other ecological crisis, we really need systems change. And in the protest, you would have like. Uh, people with signs saying systems change, not climate change. So I think there is a, you know, a big rethinking in terms of strategy as well. And then um, 
yeah, you have it that even more and more uh, sort of more centrist uh, um, uh, people or even politicians are, uh, you know, at least as, as you said, maybe not publicly, but at least, you know, if you have uh, bilateral or more private meetings with them, they recognize the limits to growth and the need to change. So, for instance, we had, a, I think it was last year, uh, a meeting with uh, Franz Timmermans, who's the the vice president responsible for the European Green Deal of the European Commission, and uh, well, he basically uh, said he agrees and that our current uh, economic system is an untenable system with really bad consequences for the environment. So I think you know more and more people are are realizing that there is a, a need for a bigger shift rather than working on on symptoms, and I think that's really the way to go. Also, I think. Uh, I think it was Hayek who said, you know, uh, you know, you'd only have real change if if there's a crisis, and then it depends on the ideas lying around. And I think, unfortunately, there's no doubt that we will uh, have uh, more crises in the future. So it's really about positioning, um, you know, uh, whatever you want to call it, post-growth uh, economic transition, beyond growth, degrowth ideas, as um, meaningful and as uh, feasible. And then uh, when there is a policy opportunity, come in with this and, and hopefully have a, a, a change for the better. Do either of you have final thoughts or comments you'd like to make? Or is there anything burning that you didn't mention you'd like to mention? Or I think uh, I think we, we covered a lot. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, just to, to add that also, I think the whole questions around work is also really important now when we think about the just transition discourse that is happening so that's mm, what we have to yeah. try with the follow-up um, policy brief to also kind of say okay the um, rethinking work working time reductions of guarantee schemes etc but also some of the feminist ideas i mentioned should also all be part when we think about just transition as the european commission approach is also quite narrow at the moment mainly focusing on high polluting sectors in certain areas which of course are important but then we also need to have a bit of more deep analysis who else actually might benefit from a just transition here i'm also thinking about care and education which are so vital for well-being and resilience of our societies but are completely neglected from our um yeah from from what it's valued uh, at the moment. And as, as you also said, even then also thought about it, it's still in the in the productivity uh, aspect. So yeah, maybe that's just this one thought I, I had that's that's really and it will just be a also will stay a hot topic for the for the upcoming months. Yes, indeed. Yes. And that's it's a it's a big topic in Ireland now too. So yeah, it's uh, obviously it's really important as you say to think of just transition as a in a holistic way and not only for one particular sector or very few yeah no, i agree with that and uh yeah maybe um just to say thanks again for having us and if your listeners are interested in hearing more about our work or reading more about our work they can uh go to our website uh which is youforum.org so yeah there we have a couple more uh reports campaigns other projects that we're working on Great, thanks. And for Cathy, it's eeb.org, right? For you. Yeah, <laughs> yes, so there's the two. I'll, I'll put links to both of them on our site. That was Caroline White speaking with Jan Meyerhofer of the European Youth Forum and Cathy Visa of the European Environmental Bureau. Many thanks to Jan and Cathy for their participation. Agus Maris Gnach, de Lisha Kelly for her music on the harp. Mm-hmm.